Hey, it's Arrow, and this is PodFest, episode number 30. Three back-to-back conversations with real people of entertainment, politics, science, the medical world, and even cooks in their own kitchen. PodFest 30 features the craziness of impractical jokers Brian Q. Quinn and Sal Volcano. Then we're going to be stepping back to 2020 with a conversation with Rob Salem from the incredible group Salem's Child. And we'll wrap things up with actress Sally Kirkland. This is PodFest. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, we, I, I can't believe that a full season has gone by and you guys are back on uh, on TBS with the Misery Index, man. And we can't believe it either. <laughs> yeah, it went fast. Are, are you amazed at how much content is out there and you guys, I mean, there's there's no room for, to ever, ever sit there and repeat something. I mean, you guys are always getting something great. Oh, thank you so much. I mean... I uh, I would say they repeat it a lot, but, but <laughs> <laughs> does it feel like that sometimes? No, it doesn't. Well, I mean, like depending on what, what you know what we're doing, Joker's plate repeats a lot. <laughs> but uh, but no, the, the misery index is like that's why we love it. I mean, it's like kind of still new and really really fresh for us, and uh, hey, it's just a fun time. It's like one of those game shows that you can just shout out and play along with your friends. So it's like. Those are the ones I always liked the most, you know, growing up, and the mo- the ones I like the most now. What would you say is a true miserable experience? Because we're all going through different shapes and shades of misery right now. Uh, a true miserable experience that's not a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> uh, let me think about that for a second. I, I stubbed my toe this morning. That was horrible, <laughs> and I'm not even making that up for a joke. Like, I, not only that, but I hit my head at the same time. Because what happens is there's a whole way in my house that's so dark, and I'm always saying i got to put a light in there, but I never do. Yeah. So when the door's closed, you don't know it. So I was looking at my phone, and my toe hit the door. I went, ah, and then my head hit the door, and oh, then God. the door slowly creeped open. So that was like 10 minutes before I started talking either. Well, you should have had the cameras rolling then, dude. There's no cameras allowed in my house. <laughs> right here. That's, I, don't, I don't trust cameras anymore, man. <laughs> One of the things that you guys have got new on this new season of the Misery Index on TBS is the fact that you've got themed episodes, and I can't wait for this because I'm especially when, when it comes to the holidays. Yeah, we have uh, we, that. That was a fun one, actually. It's hard because I remember it specifically because I don't want to give anything away, but we're not in regular clothing. So uh, there's a whole bunch of themed episodes. We had um, a Christmas one. I think we have one where twins battle it out. Right? You, if I'm not mistaken. Queens, don't we have uh, Staten Island versus England? I think. Nice. Yeah, we had uh, we had some we had some ex lovers. It's kind of fun when you add another layer and element into the into the competitive yeah. side of it. So yeah, and yeah. also Christmas is my favorite holiday. So isn't it great that we get to do a Christmas special? Like when I was growing up, like my favorite shows around Christmas were always like a special Christmas episode. And to me, because I love Christmas so much, it was like my favorite and my most anticipated thing. And now we have special Christmas episodes of our own. I, I think it's great. So now what did you guys have to do to mentally prepare for that? Because when I talk with like musicians and stuff like that that record their their Christmas music in March or April, they're like going, I had to put I, I had to be freezing inside the studio just to put me in the same mindset. Uh we don't have a career that's really reliant on mentally preparing for anything. We've kind of engineered it that way. But I will say this to Sal's point, that that dude Sal Volcano is always prepared for some sort of Christmas shenanigans. Uh, like, we go on tour. Like, we, we, we don't tour right now, obviously, but normally we tour. 
And uh, every time we're near that house where they shot the Christmas story, Sal will go look at it. Um, and we don't we don't have a loose schedule on tour, which means he's really got a scheduled time to like leave, go see the house, and then come back. Uh, so really, I just follow Sal's lead on Christmas time. So. <laughs> the importance yeah, of this. I, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say I won't pass through Cleveland or Winnetka, Illinois, without going to the Home Alone house or the Christmas Story house. That's true. Wow. The importance of the show, The Misery Index on TBS, right now is because we all need to learn how to laugh. I was with Steve Byrne last week, the comedian, and he said that it is up to the comedians to rise right now. He says the only way we're going to get back up on our feet is the comedians have got to rise. Well, I mean, Steve Byrne is, uh, you know, he's like a, a, a commander-in-chief of, of comedy, so I, I, I take a page out of his book. I agree. I mean, you know, look, what are we doing? We're just, right now, I think for us, it's like just a real fun, just at any given moment. But, I mean, especially with us all being cooped up in the last few months and worrying about that kind of thing, it's just a nice little distraction. That uh, The thing I like about it is that you can kind of like, just kind of, it's one of these games where you yell at the television for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. I like I like watching with my like my aunt or my uncle, or my, my my grandmother, and listening to them scream at the television. <laughs> well, we actually we actually gather up, and I know this goes against social distancing rules, but here in the neighborhood, we will get together in the man cave and we'll sit there and we'll shout, and then and then the conversation begins behind the the flat screen of the TV. I mean, that's how interactive this show is. Yeah, this, this show's kind of created around the the notion of like arguing about an opinion, and that's. Once you've got an opinion on the table, then everybody wants to weigh in so everybody could just... And, and it's not even a, a harsh topic that people disagreeing will not like each other for, you know? <laughs> like, it's just it's just yapping back and forth about stuff that doesn't really matter, which I think is kind of nice. And listen, to- the show originally came from a, a, a board game uh, oh. by Andy Breckman that he created. Yeah, so it's like, uh, inherently, it's, it's about having discussion. So what you said is kind of what the intended effect was. So that's good to hear. One of the things that listeners need to understand that when you guys see those videos, that's for the very first time. You you did not practice this. You did not write scripts. You didn't do anything. No, we're not allowed by, by like, game, game show rules and laws and stuff. We're not allowed to know the questions, the contestants, the videos, absolutely nothing. So we kind of just shooting from the hip the, the, the whole show. So we're in the same boat as viewers. Watching it for the first time and like just reacting to it. Well, the, that to me is like a Beatles record. I mean, that, the reason why the Beatles are still around is because they went in there, they recorded on the spot. They didn't sit there and layer their tracks. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, just, just one of the many ways that we're like the Beatles, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people tell us that the show reminds them of the Abbey Road album. So yeah. great. <laughs> I love it. Well, congratulations on season number two of the Misery Index on TBS, guys. Thank you so Thank much. You. Tuesday nights now. It changed from Thursdays to Tuesdays. That's we got to let people know that. I love it, man. You'd be brilliant today, you guys, okay? <laughs> We are unplugged and totally uncut with Rob Salem from Salem's Child. Man, congratulations on the new album, The Sin That Saves You. This album cover is mind-blowing. you got to tell me what went into this and why it was brought li- brought to life like this. The, the cover or the album? The, the album itself, yes. Okay. Um, man, it's, it's a long story. Uh, I'll try and keep it as short as I can, but basically, <laughs> you know... Um, it, it, it kind of goes back to that whole thing where, you know, they say you've, you've got your whole life to write your first record. And I think in this case, you know, it, it, there's some truth to that because a couple of these songs, 
uh, on the record have their seeds going back as far as, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Um, yeah, some, some of the roots have been around that long. And, you know, a few years ago, uh, we released an EP um, and, you know, we played that out, you know, did that thing and then a couple decided it was time to start writing a new record, came up with some new ideas and uh, just started working the tunes. And we went back and forth on a process. We talked about doing another EP or a couple of EPs um, as we started kind of mocking up demos and, and seeing what songs, what combination of songs would fit together. We started to realize that there was just a theme and, and kind of a story that went through the music alone. This is even before we even had the lyrics written. Um, and so we decided to kind of just let the music do its thing and tell us where it was going. Um, and the lyrics kind of fell into place with that. And so it just kind of took on a life of its own and we went along for the ride and, and now we're, you know, just under, you know, tomorrow will be two weeks since the record came out. I'll tell you the, the the way that you guys work your lyrics and things like they're, they're, this is music with a purpose. I mean, you look at that video that's out there, and I mean, it it it, it removes all blind spots off, man. You, we we see the soldiers as they are and as they come home. That and and we have a lot of uh, thanks to give out in, in that regard with the guys that helped make that video. Both the soldier that's in that video, the guy that that, that is in that video, is a soldier. He's a two time combat vet. He did a tour in Iraq and a tour in Afghanistan. And um, he, he went through hell and both of those. He was an infantryman. He's, he, you know, his, his blue cord, and he's got a CIB combat infantry badge. Um, but uh, there's a, another guy that, that helped with that also, who's also a two-time combat vet, 20-year veteran, retired now. Um, but they, they had a lot to do with, one, providing a lot of the footage that's in that video that, that's real footage from their tours of oh, duty. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so... so we're seeing things that those guys, the guys that helped make that video actually experienced. Um, you know, it's not just stock footage that we went and found off of the internet or anything like that. That, that stuff that was given to us by guys that were there and that things that they saw and experienced. Um, and, and so it, it really carries that authentic thing. You know, we wrote the song, we didn't write the song about that, but the guys that helped with that video and the soldiers in that video are friends of mine. And, you know, of course, you know, when you're, when you're in a band, you, you know, you let people kind of start getting feels for the new stuff you're working. And, you know, they, they heard that song in particular and they just really latched onto it. Um, and, you know, so lyrics to the song were kind of, you know, you could, anybody can apply anything they want to them, any kind of stressful moment in their life, but these guys really grabbed onto it. And, um, you know, we started talking about it and, and we're like, you know what, let's, let's do a video about this. Let, let's help give that voice to, to the things that you guys have experienced in a way that maybe people haven't seen or heard before. And, um, let people kind of do what they want with it. When when you when you talk about relieve, relieving the stress and stuff like that, because I mean the, the way that I listened to even Warpath was the fact that it's like you chimed into a heartbeat that's going dun dun dun, and all of a sudden it's through your through the songs such as Warpath that that you're able to sit there and say, man, this song is something I can relate with. This song is something that is going to help set me free here. Um, yeah, I I think a lot of that comes down to just being honest. Um, what you do is. You know, musically, you play what you feel, um, you know, and for as a band, that's one of those things that we really said, you know, we could sit here and we could write and, and play stuff that we definitely, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, and we're going to force ourselves to write a song about this or a song about that. And instead, what we do is we go, you know what, I feel this. And, and so as the 
in, as the course of writing a song happens, you know, we allow it to develop naturally. And, you know, in a song like Warpath, um, <laughs> that, that song, again, you know, lyrically, you know, it's talking about some things, but it's talking about feelings and it's, and it's written in such a, it's written in such a way that somebody can go, you know what, I feel this way. I know what I felt when I, you know, when I wrote that song and the, and the part of the lyrics that I had help writing in, I know what I was feeling, but somebody else might grab onto something different. Um, and, and so it's about just being honest. And I think honesty is what a lot of people look for in music. And that's why, that's why a song resonates with somebody, regardless of what it's about or what genre or style of music it is. I think it's something that people go, I feel this. Uh, and I think that's really what it comes down to is just putting, letting yourself feel it, putting it out there and being honest with it instead of just trying to say, Oh, you know, I'm going to, make something up and just because I think it'll be popular. One, one of the things that, I, that I've always loved and, and have been fascinated with, with the fact that when, when you're listening to the music of, of groups like Salem's Child and, and we get into those vocals and we get into those guitars and then Rob, you're on the phone and you're Mr. Mellow. <laughs> That's always made me laugh so hard. You know, it's like when people, when they, when they hear you on the radio as a jock, you know, they want to hear that DJ voice, but when they talk to you in person, you're going, where's that voice at, man? No, talk like a disc jockey. <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, well, you know, and I think the music, you know, it's an outlet. It's an, it's, a, it's a way to, to let out a certain, uh, it is a healthy way to let out some, some aggression, some feelings. Um, you know, I've done sport fighting in my life um, where, you know, and that, you know, it, it's a controlled environment. You know, you follow the rules and stuff, but it becomes a way to let yourself out. You know, other people find it through dancing or, or painting or drawing or, or, you know, writing poetry or, or whatever, um, camping, hiking, everybody's got their own way of expressing things. But I think it, I, I've experienced that as well, where, you know, uh, you know, uh, like Carl Sanders from Nile, you know, I met him a long time ago at a metal fest that we played like back in 2003, I think it was. And, you know, he's Nile is this very chaotic and aggressive death metal, uh, but he was, he was just the nicest guy, super soft spoken, you know, um, you know, made, made, he was in no hurry to, you know, run off and go do the, 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 the rock star thing or whatever it was, you know, but so it, it's been my experience that a lot of times you know, people were like, yeah, I can be angry and aggressive and, you know, head banging and playing this loud music, but you know, I'm still a person and, you know, I got my aggression out. So it allows me to just chill and stay in, Relaxed is always cool, you know. I'm a pretty mellow person in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that experience, that's what exactly. I mean, you guys had to have designed it perfectly with the song "The Dream Is Dead" because this is more than just a song. It, you really are taking the the listener for a journey and an experience. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that because that's kind of the the intent. That's the intent with the whole record. You know, it, it, it's the record itself is kind of we jokingly call it a, a not a concept album, concept album. You know, from start to finish, there's kind of a narrative that's happening there. But what that is, we're going to let people decide. But with the Dream Is Dead, you know, I, everybody's aware that we're we're living in a moment in history in this country where things are kind of going sideways and nobody's really sure happening and you know regardless of what side you're on what political position you take you know what your your moral and ethical belief system is everybody i think kind of agrees that things are just kind of wow what's going on and you know for, for us you know that song was very that, that's about the only song where we kind of really pointed things at a specific topic um 
in, in lyrically at least, um, where we kind of pulled away the amb- ambiguity a little bit. And, you know, so uh, the, the it's very much a journey in the sense that, you know, yeah, things are things are kind of jacked, but I've got my own principles, and I'm going to kind of stand on them. And you know, and holding to you know, so it's the dream is dead. So we're talking about kind of the failure of the government to to be what it's supposed to be, but at the same time, we're talking about that I'm going to hold on to what the the dream is supposed to be, and I'm going to stand my ground on that, you know, and that's pretty pointed right there in the lyrics. So, And, oh, my God, you're, you're definitely seeing a lot of that evidence these days because people seem to be getting stronger. I don't know if they identify it yet as strength, but it's it's happening. It's, you know, we're, we're rebuilding. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the music video for, for that song in particular, which we released uh, was it two weeks ago, tomorrow, um, it was very, you know, it, 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 you know, kind of like with the sin that saves you, the, the video for the dream is dead is, you know, no, this is about this. <laughs> There's no questions. <laughs> do it without, we do it without taking a position. You know, we don't take sides. We simply go, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of turmoil going on. And, you know, and so, you know, what's regardless of what side you take in, in, on things, red, blue, what left, right doesn't matter to, you know, just the fact that I think everybody's an American is going to be like, oh yeah. And, and even outside of America, you know, I've traveled outside the country a bit and, you know, I think there's a universal message of power to the people. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Now people are going to want to know Salem's child and child with an E. You've got to explain that one to me. Oh, uh, you know, 19, 20 years old coming up with band names that you think are cool. And well, <laughs> let's look, let's make it look cool. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, it's what metal bands do. You know, we, we like to spell things a little funny. We like to, you know, oh, uh, we'll, we'll set, we'll set ourselves apart. You know, there's no deeper hidden meaning to it. It's just one of those things that, you know, it's the old English spelling of it. Um, and you know, we're nice 19, 20 years old. That's, <laughs> that's what you do. Well, that, that's exactly. I mean, who, who would name their kid arrow? Come on, dude. That was, it was all about getting, making noise and being remembered in radio. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> now, don't you agree that when you went back and listened to to the to the album, which is the the sin that saves you, when you came across the storm? Now, as a listener, not necessarily the performer, you had to have thought this belongs in a movie. You know, um, I, I'd be lying if I said that. So, writing the whole the process of putting together the whole record, you know, over the course of writing it and feeling everything come together, that I haven't had in my head that that the whole record itself is kind of a soundtrack in a way. Um, and, and I think that song in particular reflects that, you know, there, there's a lot of dy- dynamics going on. Um, you know, we're, we're about flow, we're about narrative and, you know, allowing the music to kind of tell a story, regardless of what the lyrics are doing. I, I, as a musician, I come from a very strong classically influenced background. My mom is a classically trained violinist and vocalist. So I grew up with a lot of that stuff in my vocabulary and um some kind of narrative storytelling through music is just just something that that is there for me and and, you know there's a lot of progressive influence in everybody in this band you know we've all come up with bands like rush and king crimson and tool and and sabotage and queensrike and you know so i think that that this could be part of a movie soundtrack thing is just something that's intrinsic to the way we think and write um, and so that song, you know, again, the dynamics there is, yeah, very much, very much so. I think that it, it, 
we, we probably had that thought at some point. Yeah, this could be a cool movie soundtrack. <laughs> now, it'd be really cool if, you know, a film decided they wanted to throw it into the soundtrack. You know? <laughs> I'm sure the label would love to help us make that happen. <laughs> For the past seven months, there's been so much negative energy that's come from COVID-19. What is something positive that has happened to the band? You know, be it we all got together to meet in a different way, create something. There's There's always got to be some light somewhere in this. Well, for starters, we, we inked the deal for the release of this record with Pavement. Um, that happened in March, so right about the time all of this started. Um, you know, we, we finished, we started recording the record last September. We got it finished up in February, um, shopped it around. Pavement came back and said, man, we, we really want to release this record. And, you know, so we did the negotiations, you know, worked a deal that was mutually beneficial to both the label and the band and signed it. Um, and then it was kind of slow with, you know, things happening because, you know, you got to wait for the, for the, for Sony to, to give us the release date and yeah. tell us, you know, <laughs> window. and then, you know, you know, we're watching the, the pandemic stuff happen. And of course it puts a moratorium on playing out, playing shows. So we're like, well, oh. you know, we took that as, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it allows us to focus on the behind the scenes stuff and everything that needs to happen to get, ready to release a record at this level and be able to support it since we don't know if we're going to be able to play in shows. So it gave us the opportunity to, to shoot music videos. We shot a total of four music videos. Um, we've got two more to release yet. We've got three more that we're, we're scheduled to shoot here in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, and so, you know, we took that, that attitude, you know, let's re- reevaluate. We can't go out and win an audience uh, by playing shows right now. You know, can't support the record that way, but you know, YouTube is king. Online streaming is king. What can we do to kind of capitalize that and, and, you know, build an audience and engage with that audience that way? So it's allowed us to really focus on video content. Um, we've released a video at least every on a weekly basis for about a month now. We've still got a good, we still got a good couple months of, of content yet to go. Um, it's allowed us, it also allowed us to really start thinking about what do we do next? Um, you know, so the positive thing is, is, we, we didn't stop writing. You know, as an artist, you never really stopped creating, but you know, we haven't sat down and written any new songs together, but we've all been putting away ideas so that when we actually come out, you know, here, you know, a couple months and get back together and say, all right, w- what's the next step for Salem's Child? What does the next sa- you know, record or, or series of songs sound like or look like or feel like we, we we're, we're full of ideas. And so, I think it's going to be that thing. I think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff coming out. Man, it's so out ex- of us. so exciting. Where where can listeners go to find out more about you guys and show you guys some some love and support? Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we, we have we have accounts on all of the major uh, social media platforms. Um, Salemschild dot com. That's Salemschild. There's an e at the end of child dot com. Um, and it's got links to all of you know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, so YouTube, we're, we're really pushing the YouTube angle. YouTube's been developing their community yep. platform there, um, and it doesn't have the restrictions. So Facebook, you know, we love Facebook. A lot of people use Facebook, but it's really hard to promote content on there without dumping a bunch of money into it. Right, right. Um, right. The algorithms throttle how many people, even people that like your page don't see your content because, you know, the way the, the Facebook algorithms work. So 
Um, but YouTube doesn't have that. So there, there are ways to interact with us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, you know, and if you do find us on Facebook, you know, come to our Facebook page, we will, you know, we love to interact with people, you know, we're, we're regular guys, you know, and, and, and you know, we're, we're, we're a new band in turn, as far as the industry is concerned, you know, we've been around, the band itself has been around for, you know, um, far longer than I want to admit, admit right now. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so it, we're, 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 yeah, we're just regular guys, and it's, if somebody says, "Hey, I really like this," and they want to subscribe, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube and comment, we're going to respond. You know, Facebook, if they drop us a message or comment on anything, we're going to respond. That's just just the way we are. There's five of us in this band. Each one of us, is, one of us, is going to say something back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a total connection to the fans, and that's what it's all about, dude. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Oh man, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and you know, I, I'd love to. I'm sure any of the other guys would love to. Uh, the scheduling has worked out, so you got stuck with me today. <laughs> <laughs> Was not disappointed. Trust me. <laughs> Dude, thank you. Appreciate, it. man. I, I really appreciate you having the time on and, and talking, letting us talk about the record, and um, you know, and you know, obviously having listened to it yourself, I, that means a lot. So you know, we're 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 stoked that it's getting out there and that people are kind of paying attention. Uh, we. we it went to radio this week, so we're hoping to see some motion there, and you know, maybe a few more people will pick it up. There you go. That's what it, you're. You're playing the game right, man. You're playing the game right. That's all we can do. That's right. <laughs> well, you be brilliant today, okay? Hey, thanks, Arrow. First, some sounds from the new movie Cuck, C U C K, and then when we come back, we'll be unplugged and totally uncut with Sally Kirkland. The greatest threat to our nation is this false sense of diversity. That is the greatest fallacy of the past century. Today was a pretty rough day for me. I lost a lot of money and I lost a car and I lost a job. But everywhere I go, there's illegals and they're running the show. Our country is shifting, not just in terms of politics or morality, but culturally. You can't be proud to be white and male anymore. It's not politically correct. We sometimes record it. All you gotta do is follow the script. Can you do that, Ronnie? Can you follow the script? But you be anything I need to be! The greatest threat to our nation is the fragmentation of our people. Does he have access to weapons, guns, knives, anything? 45. Pretty, isn't it? Hell yeah. Fire comes, you're gonna burn. I need you. Are you ready to take the red pill? Or are you just another cuck? Good morning, Sally. How are you doing today? Great, you? Fantastic. Wow, what a journey you have been on. I mean, you have lived out so many dreams coming true. Yes. Very exciting life. In touching that life and reliving that life, it's 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 got to be one of those moments where you can sit down, put it into poetry, or put it into just a book of some sort. Where man, because we want to learn from you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I guess I'm I'm at 250 movies at this point, and um, 60 years of being in films and television and stage. Um, but I have to say, this role I play in Cook which we're talking about today, is one of my juiciest roles in years. <laughs> um, the Hollywood Reporter described my character today as sickly mother Sally Kirkland, who both smothers and dominates him, being my son, with weapons, 
great passive aggressive mood swings and it was such a great uh, role and such a great film they they call it Rob Lambert's debut features a timely satirical thriller about an angry alternative right keyboard warrior uh, in Trump's America if you get my drift you bring such a vibration to it in the way that we get emotionally attached all the way through it you can't take your eyes off the picture yeah, that's a good way to put it. You can't take your eyes off of it. It makes you feel uncomfortable, but you can't take your eyes off it. <laughs> do you think that's because do you think that's because in our own personal lives we know somebody like your character? Maybe not as rough, but we know somebody like the character. Yeah, well, um uh sure. Yeah, I know a lot of people like my character and like Ronnie, my son played by Zachary Ray Sherman who just won the Best Actor Award at the Oldenburg Film Festival for this film. Um, you know, and, and my, I use my mother a lot for the dominating uh, mood swings. And um, yes, I know quite a few people that fit into this, but I haven't done as much research as the film director, Rob Lambert, did on the whole incel, um, you know, vlog channel that this guy goes into and, and um, radicalizes himself with hate leaders on online. It's very authentic. He did a lot of research. I was just going to say, it's like a picture postcard from today's reality, and, and I think that's what's going to draw a lot more people closer to it, because it's almost like it's right here in front of us, and we, it, when it's outside our door as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. We made it a year ago, and... Trump hasn't really changed his ways and <laughs> whatever it's been three years or whatnot. And um, we get to um, show the the illness of it all. And um, I think it's a very funny movie. Didn't you? Didn't you find humor in it? In ways that I can relate with it, because, I mean, humor to me is it's not always the funniest joke, but it's the best way that I can get pulled into that joke and relate with it. Right. That's a good way to put it. I want to know how you got into that role, because when, when you know, it, it's almost like that thing where when, when you put yourself into it like you do in this, it doesn't easily shake off your back when the movie is over. How long did it take you to where you're going, whew, that, that, that took some life out of me? Oh, thanks for saying that. I know one critic from Medium.com said that it took him four days thinking about my character um, to rid himself of it. Uh, I... Um, I'm an actor studio member, Lifetime, and so I'm really good at what I call method acting. Very, very intense. You know, De Niro was my scene partner for years back in the 60s at the actor studio. We would have these very angry fight scenes where he would almost strangle me. <laughs> and um, Lee Strasberg, the head of the actor studio, would say, you two, if you combine them, you'd be the perfect actor. De Niro's a genius with character and a Sally. You've got the vulnerability, you know. And um, I, um, I don't know. I, it's rare you get a role like this. Uh, actually, um, the leading man, uh, Zachary Ray Sherman, suggested me. So that's how I got the role, and how I prepared for it. Um, you know, when you've done 250 films, you don't have to do much preparation. It's all right under the skin. Do you know what I mean? I, I do because like, cause I do voiceover work for commercials and it's like, you know, I could spend all day studying that script, but it's like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to let the universe take over and just, you know what to do. Just make it happen. Yeah. And this director allowed me to go to the very edge to really push buttons in the audience. Um, I, you know, the scene where I'm chasing the uh, porn star down the street. 
Did you see that, where I'm chasing her down the street and screaming and yelling about get away from my son? Right. It was it's towards the end of the of the movie, and it's one of my favorite scenes I've done in my career. They had a cameraman right up against my face as I'm running down the street in a pink bathrobe with my oxygen tent, screaming at this woman. Absolutely, you know, tears streaming down my face and screaming bloody murder at her. And it's one of my all-time favorite Sally Kirkland scenes. And for me, it's worth seeing the whole movie to see that one scene. (laughs) Was it one of those moments that, like, where Bruce Dern always says, you know, there are times I need to step off the script and be myself, and I need to put my own acting abilities into it. Because it's so real-looking, did you have to do the same thing where you just kind of had to go, look, I'm going to give it my everything. I may come out of character, but but I'm going to be back in character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and Bruce Dern's an actor studio member also. And... uh, so I was lucky. I was in class with De Niro and Dustin Hoffman and Paul Newman and Geraldine Page. Uh, I mean, Geraldine Page and Rip Torn and Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward and Dustin, Al Pacino. So I come out of that group of actors where we were all so intense, you know, and um, it's rare you get a script where you, you're allowed to have that much rage in it. And my co-star... Um, Zachary Ray Sherman gained 45 pounds to play the role and when I saw him uh, he was so heavy and when I saw him at the cast crew screening I didn't recognize him because he'd lost all the weight so I introduced myself I said hi I'm Sally Kirkland he said Sally it's Zach it's Zach (laughs) 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 he had lost all of the weight it took him seven and a half months Um, But this film is an incredible film, I think, both dramatically and comedically. Um, And I think there's something for everybody. Like you said, when you leave the theater, you can't quite stop talking about it, right? I know that at the other screening I saw that there's going to be a premiere tonight. But the other screening, people were talking. for They couldn't stop talking about it. It just hits a nerve. You know, don't you love those pre-screenings and, and the premieres and things? Because you're going in there with real movie lovers, people, fans of the film. And, and you get to go in there and be with people that that understand what it takes to make a movie and what it takes to not. And you also have to execute the movie and get it out there and get people to talk about it. Yes. And I was very lucky. I got to be on KTLA News the day before yesterday. Or maybe it was yesterday. I can't remember now. And um uh, no, it was, it was the day before yesterday. And Sam Rubin was interviewing me, and I was trying to put into words about being the bipolar mother of a sexually deprived anarchist, white nationalist <laughs> uh, kid who, um, you know, I have this hate-love relationship with. And uh, it, to me, it maybe puts the camera on people, parents, who are, the families are so broken. In my case, my husband died, and my, my son worships his memory, even though he never knew him. Military man, so of course my son has to be militant. The way that you take acting to the next level is the fact that you become real. It, and you forget that it's, it's Sally Kirkland in front of us, and it's somebody that is right there in front of us that's very real. When I did Anna, for which I got the Best Actress Oscar nomination and won the Golden Globe and the Independent Spirit Award, the LA Film Critics Award, and all of that, I played Anna Lukova from uh, from Prague, Czechoslovakia. What you want, I don't want to talk about my personal life. <laughs> you give me the script. And so people didn't, they thought I was Czech. When I went to all the film festivals, they said, your parents were Czech, right? And I said, no, no American. <laughs> so it was always fun to throw yourself so completely into a character 
that people say, oh, my God, who is to know that Sally Kirkland had all of those demons? You know what I mean? <laughs> when, when you do play those roles, do, do you have to go in? Because I'm a daily writer, and I, I need my daily writing so I can defrag everything. Do you have to defrag as well? What does that mean? In other words, it's like I'll, I'll sit down at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'll, and I'll start writing, and I'll start questioning. Okay, you, you were this person on this commercial or on this, this particular podcast today. And, and, okay, how did you feel about being there? Did you take it to where you needed it to be? How can and, and basically, I've got a listener, and that listener is myself, instead of sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, you know how creative people get? We freak out sometimes. Right, we do, sometimes on camera. Well, like I said, I got really lucky with this director. Um, I liken him to my own Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese. He he really pushed me um, and pushed buttons in me. He, he just let me go. And I always tell uh, people who listen that a great director will give you freedom. Yeah. You know, they won't tell you how to do it. They'll just set it up so that you have total freedom to go to the extreme. And um, Mother, in this film, is a case study. Uh, It is a very character-driven film, and she's just totally um, bizarre. She she forgets that her son is not her husband. So there's a Oedipus kind of sexualized mother-son thing. I don't know if you saw the bathtub scene where he's sponging my body with... (laughs) And, you know, somebody asked me for an interview, you know, how I did that. And I said, well, I was the first nude actress in America in 1968 in theater, before hair, before Calcutta. So nudity means not as easy for me, you know, and it's kind of interesting at my age to do it. You know, I'm in my 70s. Isn't that just being truthful with the moment and being, being mindfully present? Yeah, I mean, the character totally forgets that he's not her husband, that her husband died. And, um, you know, it, it might make people in the audience squeamish, but um, I think it's great. I think it's just great when when uh, when he told me he was wanted me to do it and that I had a choice. I said, oh, yes, let's really let's go for this. You know, <laughs> so so in a in a kind of a really cool way, you also at that point in time, you stopped being Sally Kirkland and you were mother. You you were her was mother yes i'm by no means violent the way this woman is and um and i I, lately i don't have a son who's you know sponging me in a bathtub right um it was just a really wonderfully written character and i I have a scene with the um social worker where i think i'm blanche dubois you know and i'm coming on to him i have all these different colors in my characterization and um I don't know. I just feel that your audience will really love this film. I, you know, I don't say that about every film I do, but this film is a must, and it comes out on VOD Friday. That's tomorrow, right? Yep. Tomorrow on, you know, Amazon, um, Apple, iTunes, all of those, and I really think your audience will enjoy it. It's, it's I guess it's about 100 minutes or 115 minutes, and you cannot, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Yep. It's one surprise after another. This role of, of playing the part of mother, because you know, it took you 250 movies to get to this point. Did you pull any in any energy from the Andy Warhol days to bring this 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 color to this character? Well, Andy Warhol had me sit and not move at oh all. Oh my god! <laughs> Left me on a chair and it said, "Don't move." 
and he left the room. And because I'm a method actor, and I considered all of his actors to be untrained underground actors, and I was an actor studio union member actor, I couldn't resist letting a tear come out of my eyes and come down slowly down my face, but I never moved, you know? So I did what's called an emotional recall. Wow. Um, otherwise, it's called um, an as-if, as-if I saw a child murdered. Uh, emotional recall, when Bob Dylan broke up with me. You know, whatever I'm using, I have a tear, or a tear is coming down my face. And so that was back in 1964, and I've been able to do that ever since because of my training. You're spot on because now but what it makes me do, it, it, it's that one thing. I, I believe in this thing called post-production blues. You put so much into what you're doing that when the lights go out, the camera goes off, and there's no microphone, all of a sudden you're in that one empty space. And as a creative person, as an artist or an actor, you got to figure out how to get back up on your feet again. Yeah. Well, I usually tell the director to tell the crew not to talk to me. And I, I go into the zone until the day is over and I have a place where I can rest. There's always got to be in my contract a place where I can rest between scenes. And um, and I don't talk to anyone except the director and my co-star. And um, uh, it's just great. We didn't really rehearse anything. He, a lot of times I asked him to shoot the rehearsal. In JFK, I asked Oliver Stone to do that and he did it. And when I opened JFK as Rose Sharami, and you see me thrown out of the car, and then you see me screaming, yelling, he's gonna kill the president. And they're wheeling me into a hospital. None of the actors or the crew knew that we were gonna shoot that rehearsal. I mean, except for the cameraman. And um, what you see in JFK with Rose Sharami was literally a, a one rehearsal shot. Wow. Scene. Wow. And um, Ron Howard, on the other hand, loves to improvise. When I did Ed TV playing Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson's mother, he, he did a 45-minute audition with me to let me play and explore and improvise. And he rehearsed us for a week with the writers there and the cameraman. And if something came up in an improv, they would incorporate it into the script of Ed TV. You know? So different directors work different ways. I would say Rob Lambert is a very mysterious man, <laughs> extremely, um, he loves danger, so he pushes his actor to the danger point, you know? See, that that's why I like looking at directors and looking at their eyes so I can see if I can see their soul, and man, they won't even give it to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just love this man. Um, I really hope that the world will know about Rob Lambert, the director, and my very interesting co-star, Zachary Ray Sherman. Um, there's another actor, Timothy Murphy, who plays the husband of the, or he plays one of the porn stars, and he's, um, a, what do you call it, an anti-hero. Mm -hmm. um, but he's so frighteningly good. And Monique Parent, who plays the, um, the woman who entices Ronnie, my son, into her porn world, um, it's just a, a wonderful cast, and I was very lucky to have, like I said, this one scene with Monique Parent where I'm, I'm absolutely screaming and yelling all down the street. I'm sure the neighbors heard it, um, and, and threatening her. And uh, a lot of people said they wished the scene went on and on and on because it was so crazy and insane and out there. You were born to play this role. It, it just took this long to get to it. As I was born to play this role, and, you know, I was pronounced dead in the 60s from an overdose, and uh, my parents were brilliant, but alcoholics, and they killed themselves. So I have enough background 
to work from in broken families, if you know what I mean. I do. I do. Well, congratulations on the new movie, Cuck. It's on video on demand starting tomorrow. And I can't wait to talk with you more in the future, Sally. Thank you. It's also in 10 cities nationwide. Thank you. Well, anytime, Errol. I love the idea that it's in 10 cities because you know what? That that gets you ready for the Oscars, doesn't it? Because we are in Oscar season and it's time to play the game, isn't it? Yes, it's time to play the game. Thank you. you bet. Well, we got to get the word out about Cuck then. Yeah, Cuck. C-U-C-K from the derivative of Cuckold. Be brilliant today, okay? Okay. God bless you.